0: We're going to have our Advent reading for today. You guys have a lighter? Yes, we okay, have. Okay, good. The, the little guy's got the lighter. Brilliant.
1: I left it with the four year old. Is that yes, going to be a that's problem? A good, that's a good call.
0: Good call. Okay. What great. could possibly go wrong?
1: Exactly. All right. All right. your faith? <laughs> Sorry. There you go. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus made a law. The law required a list be made of everyone in the whole Roman world. It was the first time a list was made of the people while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Everyone went to their own town to be listed. Joseph went also. He went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. This is where Bethlehem, the town of David was. Joseph went there because he belonged to the family line of David. He went there with Mary to be listed. Mary was engaged to him. She was expecting a baby. While Joseph and Mary were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first baby. It was a boy. She wrapped him in large strips of cloth. Then she placed him in a manger. That's because there was no guest room where they could stay.
0: Thank you. Thank you, guys. Let's light light all three purple candles, if you will. The last one will be for next week.
1: That is an intense lighter.
0: Right. Thank you, guys. All
1: right.
0: All right. Somebody wants to clap. They just lit candles, y'all. It's not a big deal. <laughs> oh, well, good morning. It is so good to be here. This room has been full of the life of Austin this week. Um, three times we sold this room out this week. Once with, uh, who was it? Uh, Mark Brizard and then twice with Kelsey Wilson, who's one of my favorites here in South Austin, with a band called Wild Child. So if you guys continue to not understand what the O4 Center is because you refuse to look at Instagram, then I can't help you anymore. This place is legendary. We had so many people in here last night that getting out of here was like, oh, like trying to go see the Trail of Light. Don't, don't that's always a bad idea every year when it occurs to you, so just, just so you know, I'm gonna forewarn you. But anyway, it's good to be back uh, after taking a week off. Today is the third week of Advent, which means we'll wrap it next week and then we'll have our Christmas Eve Eve service. And our theme today, as you can see written on the box behind me in case you notice, for those of you who pay attention to details, which, which is the new box? Anyone? That's right. Y'all are quick. So two weeks ago, I set the stage for Advent talking about hope and Trey, our resident love doctor apparently last week, <laughs> captain of the love boat. Oh, we could go on and on with this. Uh, spoke about love last week and then next Sunday, we'll hear from Jen, her thoughts on peace, but for today, joy will be our subject matter and will be our lens. But before I go any further, a word about Trey. I'm so glad you came back in the building. Actually, it would have been great if you would just stayed in your office. So I know that he likes, because I had to sit and listen to this last week with you guys, I know that he likes to say that he doesn't love to preach. But don't we all love when he does? Yes. There, are, there are so many things that go on around here that you're probably not aware of No one has loved this place more than Trey and Jenny Pruitt over the last 12 or 50 years or however long it's been. We simply couldn't do any of this at at all without him. And I know that sometimes we just take these things for granted, but I just want you to hear from me that I couldn't personally do this without you. I really couldn't. There's no way to do this without your help. So I don't say that often enough about you. You're deeply respected. Um, You're wise, and we love you. So I will take any dates you'll give us to preach. So good man. There you go. So today is about joy, but before I go there, one more stop along the way. This is how we do road trips, right? we got to have seven stops before we get on the road. Allow me to give you some additional introductory comments about Advent as a concept. So if Trey is the announcement guy who can't stop giving announcement even, even when he's trying not to, I'm the introduction guy. Have you guys noticed this? I'm the intro man. Giving introductory remarks to me all the way up to the end of a preaching series is just how you do something. Like, Everything is 75% content and about 25%, I mean, 75% context and about 25% content. That's just how it is. So humor me for a few more introductory remarks. Now, there are several ways to navigate through Advent. One is through the stories and the characters, generally some combination of Isaiah, John the Methodist who also baptized, we're going to rebrand him because it doesn't feel right, Chuck, to say John the Baptist. Yeah, John the Methodist who baptized... And then Joseph, and then obviously Mother Mary, obviously Mother Mary. Those are generally the characters, and that's one way to navigate it. Um, That's probably my favorite one. You might know this as the Catholic slash Episcopal slash Anglican way. It's my preferred way. You could call it following the lectionary. It's what I love to do. The characters keep this story that sits at the center of our faith. They keep it so human because these players all feel just enough like us for us to be able to get back inside the story parallels and applications from their lives, they just sort of happen effortle- effortlessly. They aren't us, but they're enough like us for us to get inside the story. Well, that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is the Protestant way, which means it, it, it weaves a path through the manger, through these themes of hope and love and joy and peace. And this season, as a staff, thanks to Stephanie's ad- strongly advocating for this, we decided to try it this newfangled, dangled Protestant way, right? This new way And what could possibly go wrong. Besides, there's more than one way to get to any particular place. But observing Advent this way allows the whole family to sort of gather around the box that we sold and, and to, to raise money for mission, right? And that's been a lot of fun. But I have to be honest about one downside of doing this the Protestant way. Hope, love, joy, and peace can, can feel or can sound like a list of Christian virtues more than a story that we find our way back into if we're not careful. And you guys know how we relate to lists of virtues, We try to make them happen really, really hard. And if we don't, we feel really, really guilty about not having them in our lives. You know we're stuck in this loop of this Christian virtue shame cycle that we go into when we feel more viscerally the guilt of not experiencing these virtues than we do the invitation to accept them as the gifts that they are. And see, there's the catch. Take joy, for example. How do you get inside the subject of joy? What even is joy? Where do we find more of it? It sounds like something we probably want to have more of, right? Is joy something we experience if and when we try harder? Or maybe we should think about hope or peace or love, the queen of all virtues. Are these things that we get better at if we work and hustle and practice? Would that be good news? Is that how you hack Advent and cut to the chase and get the goods, I wonder? Are these elite Christian virtues for people who work really, really hard to deserve them? I guess what I'm inadvertently doing is describing the way I've always thought of it, perhaps, that resonates with you. Isn't that how we approach questions of faith, friends? But you see, these are gifts that we accept, not products that we produce. And besides, Christmas is a story. It's a parable. It's an invitation to consider, again, what an ancient narrative might mean for us today by thinking once more again about what it meant back then. Friends, making something isn't the same as accepting something, and I hope that you can see the difference after all this time. I like the idea of Advent as a storyline more than a list of virtues. But perhaps we can do both. And this is what Trey and Stephanie have have argued for, and which is what we're doing. Perhaps we can do both at the same time. I've learned something, that we can always find a way with Mary as our guide. Now, I might be the most Marian of Methodists that you've ever met, the most Marian Protestant you know But we can always find our way with Mary as our guide. She holds center of uh, the center stage again today in our story, just like last week and just like next week. Now, our story center will shift on Christmas Eve Eve to the baby Jesus where Don Smith, who is not here right now, but our very own Don Smith will lead us in that service. I'm very much looking forward to that. But for now, Mary is our protagonist and joy is our subject. I could contemplate Mary endlessly. Some of you know this. I grew up in a country that does. I grew up in Mexico. Mary has always been center stage. Like most of these ancient characters, we don't know a ton about here, about the details of her life, but we know just enough about Mary, don't we? Ever in our thoughts is this one. Mary remains, despite the persistent, precautionary protests of Protestants, she remains the thread that weaves the whole Christmas story together. Now I know most of you were raised on this idea that Jesus was the reason for the season, you remember that? And of course he will be in time, But if you think about the sequence of all of this, something came before the birth of that baby boy, or more precisely, someone came before. Before shepherds or wise men or self-protecting political puppets, interested mostly in crushing the intersection of ancient oracles and popular imagination, before all of that, there was a young woman who said yes. And just think again for a moment, if you can, what she was saying yes to. And she was right. So she was when she sang her song called the Magnificat. All generations would go on to call her blessed, including us. Mary is a permanent resident in our collective imagination because she flipped it all. Think about it. Power, check, she flipped that. Poverty, check, she flipped that too. She lives on for so many reasons. But specifically today, I want to focus on something that Luke mentions. She was, after all, humanity's prime responder at least in the way that we tell the story of God in the cosmos. And there's this little narrative detail that to me feels like a bit of a clue why God probably chose a teenage woman to carry the hope of a new world. And I want to see if you can catch it. Now, since Adrian and Sean and the boys already read the text for today, I'm not going to reread it. I will just paraphrase it in my own words, and then I'll offer you a few final thoughts. So going back to the thoughts of Luke, chapter 2. These are my words. So say, at the time there was a new law passed and Caesar Augustus made it a mandatory thing that everyone in the Roman Empire be subjected to a head count. Verse two, and this was the first census of its kind and it happened while Quirinius, a great name for a small dog, if you're asking me, was the governor of Syria. Verse three, so all the men had to go to the hometowns where they were born to be counted. The women literally didn't count. Yeah, well, first century. Verse four, Anyway, Joseph complied, and so he left Nazareth, and he headed to Bethlehem, the city of the ancient king named David. Turns out Joseph and David were distant relatives, so they were. Verse 5, and Joseph took his fiancée, Mary, along with him, which wasn't an easy thing to do since she was expecting, and while they were traveling right on cue, Mary goes into labor. And Mary gave birth to Jesus and wrapped him in strips of cloth, normal, and laid him in a feeding trough for animals, not normal. There was, as it turns out, no posher place for them to lay their firstborn son. Now, verse 19 as a capstone. Verses 8 through 18 is the story of the shepherds, and Jen will talk about that next week, so we're going to skip that. Verse 19. And after the shepherds came with their grandiose declarations about who Jesus might become with stories of stars and omens and heavenly choirs, Mary treasured all these oracles in her heart. Translation, silently. I wonder, did you catch that important Detail. The detail about where she turned to cherish and nurture God's work. That's right. She treasured these oracles in her heart. She went inside, friends. She trusted the wisdom of her heart to feed and incubate the promise. And nobody but nobody has a wider or more spacious heart than a teenage woman. I happen to be an authority on the subject matter. (laughs) Although they're mostly not teenagers anymore. Now, living directly from one's heart, from the depth of wisdom in one's heart, isn't the only definition of virtue, but it is my favorite of them all. Mary was a, Mary, Mary's life was a virtuous life, it was. But that doesn't in any way refer to her circumstances or life situation, you must understand. Mary was virtuous because of the strength of her heart. Her life was full of suffering and loss and poison whispers and unceasing social scandal. Hers was a virtuous life, so it was, but it wasn't easy or simple. It was somehow simultaneously hard and full of hope, full of joy and full of sorrow. You see, it was both concurrently. Friends, stay focused now on the details we have around Mary. That'll be important since her life, her little life, has been tampered with and tinkered with historically from the very beginning. You see, church history has converted her into something that I doubt even she would recognize after all this time. You see, her life was difficult. It took centuries for the friends of Jesus to clean this story up enough to make something romantic or dreamy, something post-cardish, something hallmarky out of this almost impossible story. Mary's life was virtuous, but her circumstances were virtually impossible. So two weeks ago, I said this about this humble story, that it's in fact not a humble story. There is nothing unlovely or unsophisticated about the shocking earthiness of all of this. Every player in this story is handpicked all the way down to the lambs and the hay and the stone. Even the trees selected to give their lives for the wood used to make the trough that held him. This is all glory and magnificence and simple perfection and timeless virtue as long, friend, as long as we don't confuse any of that with easy. It was somehow all of this at once, love and loss, hope and desperation, peace and turmoil. It was joy and despair all at once. Mary somehow held it all together. I wonder, can you do that? Can we hold all of this together? Can we make room for the announcement of God's dream for us, even if it ruins our lives as it sets us free at the same time? Oh, what a question, friend. Can we handle the tension of poverty and royalty and oppression and liberation all unfolding in the same little life, our life, this life, now? Can we do that Oh, dear one, would that not be the most important question of all during Advent? Will we make room, friend? You see, you are the inn. We are the grotto. What will our story be? Well, Mary managed, and she did it by turning inside, by turning to the ancient wisdom of her young and courageous heart. A million generations built her heart to do just that. It's what the heart does. And the same is true for us if we turn to it, if we trust it, And all the therapists in the room are going secretly, right? (laughs) So if you're beginning at this point to wonder if your preacher's about to talk about ways to look again at this present reality, at this present darkness, at our beautiful yet broken autobiographies, at our wonderful yet wildly untamed world, if you're wondering if there may yet be a way to look again at all of this until we can see how it fits together concurrently, then you're tracking with me. Liberation isn't, as it turns out, a change of circumstances nearly so much as it's a change of perspective. But you knew that. You see, the virtues of Advent are gifts, remember? It's my joy to remind you. They are already ours. In fact, we have to misplace them to lose them because when we started this journey, we had them all. We call that original goodness we lose our joy or our hope or love or peace or whatever we lose it only when we accept a certain premise of contradiction friend as the real story of our lives Life is only contradictory if we allow our perspective to be too time-located, if we bog down in the micro-measurements of space and purpose, if we lose track of long time, of stone and sequoia time, of epochs and eras and eons, when we lose track of the big picture located in the long sense of time as God sees it, that's when we despair. I will never tire of telling you, you already have everything you need. You needed nothing except an increased sense of awareness around what already is. You see, you're equipped with everything you need to hold love's promises, no matter how long they take to become reality. You, friend, have a sacred place where promises grow and expand and take shape. It's called the human heart, the tabernacle of God, the womb of the Almighty. Of all the places eternity could have chosen to take up residence, the heart is where it chose. But how? How, we wonder. How are we supposed to hold all of this stuff at once, all of the difficult and the hope and the joy? How are we going to do it all at the same time? How are we going to keep our joy when the promise doesn't match our immediate situation? And boy, can can we tell immediately that it doesn't. Where are we supposed to store all of the hard and the heavy and the hopeless stuff along with the hope and the joy and the peace that apparently exists concurrently? In the heart, whispers sweet Mother Mary, store it all in the heart. It's the only place wide enough for things this big, things this eternal, things this world-altering. She knew right where to store such astonishing ideas deep inside, where they'd be safe You see, time was needed, friend. All mothers know this, and not just the human ones. All mamas understand this, a time to incubate and nurture, a time to 3D print the promise left for her to, to, to look after in her safekeeping. And there was no one, there was no single place, not one crevice of the universe any more divine or any more sacred to hold all of this stuff than the warm womb of a young and willing woman. Anyway, this is Luke's memory of how it all went down. This isn't exactly what Matthew remembers, but neither of them were actually there. So I think Mary must have told them these details. Friends, the heart can hold it all. It is never silent. Now, it may be silenced with some practice by turning up all of the other volumes, but it never stops speaking if we listen. The heart is the most expansive place in the known world, and it's more than capable of holding it all. Mary was young, but never confuse young with simple. Mary was wise. Voicing such omens and oracles could get a girl killed. This was no time for risks, it was time to build and protect and believe quietly. You do understand the Roman Empire already had a king that they called the Son of God. People of the first century were accustomed to grappling with claims of virgin births and star formations, bowing at the honor of the birth of certain men, mostly military but also men of wisdom and mysticism. But Mary knew that her baby would be different even if the world wasn't yet ready to know its maker this intimately. Mary took it all inside. Because any water cooler talk about this child, what he might become could draw undue attention to these young teenage parents now entrusted with the important task of design and development of a whole new world. Friends, I just need to come clean with you today. My non-Catholic seminary professors winced and shuddered when I grabbed the mic during Advent. They couldn't, they couldn't make me Protestant enough. Preaching Advent for me is really the story of Mary. It's a personal challenge for me to see how many ways I can talk about her, our beloved prime responder, and not get myself fired as a Methodist clergyman. Dr. Chuck, don't go back to the bishop on today, right? We're going to scrub this one from the podcast. I fall all over myself every year trying to ratchet up the rhetoric, trying to dial up the dialogue, trying to push the point until I can find just the right word that could possibly describe sweet Mother Mary. But I haven't yet, and I doubt that I will her simple perfection is always just beyond the reach of language. And at this point, you might be saying to yourself, Preacher, you done forgot to preach about joy today. What does Mary have to do with joy? Where was the joy in her life of struggle and lack and despair? It was in her womb, of course. In the secret palace of her devotion and dedication, right where it belonged until the moment matured, you see. Joy would come to the world, the baby would arrive, the flora and the fauna would assemble, but he was hers before he was ours, make no mistake. Which makes me wonder if all good things possibly come to fruition the same way. Maybe this is the route to reality. Maybe this is the road to real life. I wonder if this principle might encourage us on a day like today. Well, I don't know about you, but it does for me. You see, in this way, Mary leads us, so she does. She does. And if anyone is picking up strong hints of Uncle Colum from Dairy Girls, that's exactly why I'm putting in all the so she does, and so it was. If you don't know what that is, skip lunch, go home, watch the Dairy Girls. And in this way, Mary leads us, so she does. This is how you add extra words to sentences that mean nothing in the UK, but apparently, and also we're not talking about England today. Uh-huh, yeah. Some of you are like, what happened? Never mind, it's not our year again. It'll come back some other year. But Mary leads us in this way. She shows us how to carry a promise. Now dial this in and hear me. Hear me clearly, friend. She shows us how to carry a promise the right way, inside, where the accumulated strength of a million generations has taught our hearts to hang on until the time comes round. What does it mean when we say heaven come down? or heaven came down. Well, I suppose it means that somehow, our resistance notwithstanding, somehow nothing has to climb up or ascend or rise in order to be worthy of holding heaven. You've held it, as have I, Mary certainly did, but so have you. Your mind may not have been aware of it when you held it, but your body sure was, your body always knows. When we affirm that heaven already came down, what we're saying is that the only work left to be done now for us is internal work, friend. It's inside. Our work is not external. It's not outward. Nothing else has to happen, hear me clearly, or occur for us to experience hope and love and joy and peace. Nothing beyond our careful and motherly incubation and protection for now. That is until time delivers the promise as promised. And why does any of this matter on the 11th of December, my dad's 70th birthday? Well, it matters because heaven only knows what promises are buried in the womb of you for safekeeping, for timely design and development. You are a womb. You know that, right? If you are made of soil and stardust and all the seriousness with which homo sapiens navigate the world, then you are made of the right stuff. Then you too are equipped to bring new things to life. Now, men, drop your binary frameworks of maleness and femaleness for a moment. In relation to the timeless, in relation to eternity, in relation to the divine, we are non-gendered. We are all just responders. I don't know what promise is in you, friend, in the form of a seed. I don't know what sadness or heaviness or concern or vision or dream or new capacity not yet developed is in you, but I know it's there. Something is there. Something found nowhere else is there in you. Now close your eyes for a second. Let whatever you've been waiting on, whatever you've been hoping for, whatever seems like it's been eternally slowed and delayed and arriving, that seems like you've been holding that promise forever, let all of those things surface now in your consciousness. I don't know what it is for you, How could I? What I do know is that for me, you can open your eyes now. What I do know is that for me, what I carry inside is the future me. It's the completely healed and whole me. It's on its way. Things aren't quite ready, but they will be. The me that still needs tenderness and warmth and protection for now can stay right where it is just for a moment longer, and that's okay. Birth will not be rushed, all things in time. I offer you this final thought, which is the first of two final thoughts. Not to, This final thought in Latin means musicians, get yourselves ready. <laughs> no matter what we do, it's going to be an awkward transition, so just prepare for the awkward. <laughs> this final thought. Now, it's not something we talk about a lot around here, but repentance is the major theme of Advent. Any liturgist in the room would know this. You see, the great church seasons of Advent and Lent, they're about preparation, which in church language is really just known to us as the concept of repentance. We hustle and we grind and we churn and we spin and we try hard to be noticed. We attempt to earn and prove and deserve the gifts that we've been freely given for which dear one we must repent. You heard me. That's what we must repent of. It turns out there is work to do for us if we're going to experience anew, the coming of God to us in the flesh. But that work of repentance, of turning, of changing our ways is not the kind of hustle that we engage religiously in hopes that we might make ourselves more worthy or more deserving. No, friend, that work is done. The undone work of repentance has nothing to do with behavior. It has everything to do with learning to see differently, with acceptance and release. With saying yes to the proposition to carry the future inside us. You see, joy comes from within. This final, final thought. That's you, Jesse. Joy comes from within. Maybe that's the secret to Mother Mary's joy. It was inside her, not in her circumstances or her surroundings. You see, friend, joy requires pregnancy. Joy must be carried to full term. You may not see yet how all of these things in your life connect. Well, how could you? But you will in time when the world needs the promise that you carry. You'll know. That's how joy works. It grows in the darkness. Friends, these are my last words for you this year from this little space that I love so much, the only thing I know for sure is this, time is always the missing variable in all of our equations. That's the mathiest thing I can say. Akshay and I shaped that sentence because he, of course, is a rocket scientist. Time is always, remember algebra that you barely passed like me? Time, friend, time is always the missing variable in all of our equations. Everyone carries something that only they can carry. There simply are no exceptions to this rule. And only time will reveal what that is. To wait and see is what it means to be alive. This is the heart of Advent.
1: Could you make room for something this big?